Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So our family has a funny tradition. We've got a lot of funny traditions, to be honest with you. Uh, But one in particular for birthdays. Whenever it's somebody's birthday, we watch a music video from this 90s band, They Might Be Giants. Some of you might recall this band. And they have a song entitled simply, Older. And it's like the anti-happy birthday song, okay? So I want you to picture the music video. It's these five goofy guys, and they're standing like inside of a clock tower. And so there's a great big clock behind them. And even as the video is going, there's a timer on the screen counting down every second as the song goes along. And here's how the song goes. You're older than you've ever been, and now you're even older, and now you're even older, and now you're even older. You're older than you've ever been, and now you're even older, and now you're older still. It's cheerful, isn't it? And then it goes on to say that time is marching on. And just from watching the video, from listening to the song, we always have a good time of it with birthdays, but also it makes uh, unmistakable this sense that, yeah, time is marching on. It feels like that sword hanging over your head as you just hear the tick, 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 tick. This is the way that from a worldly perspective, we often view time. It's this onrushing marching, merciless thing. But does it have to be that way? I would say, from a biblical perspective, that the answer is no. That as Christians, we have a very different perspective on time. And in short, it's that every moment is holy. Every moment is holy is holy. And nowhere is this contrasting view of time between the the world's view of time and the biblical and, and Christian view of time, nowhere is this maybe more apparent than in the season of Lent in general, and I would say in Ash Wednesday in particular. You guys gathering tonight, receiving on your forehead what you have received, receiving that message, it's a profoundly countercultural thing to do. What I'd like to do with our time together this evening is to meditate on this Christian biblical view of time in contrasting with the way that the world typically understands time. So that through it, you and I might be able to see time not as an enemy to be overcome, but as a friend to welcome and to receive. But first, let's talk a little bit about the way that the world views time. And helpfully, the Greek language, which, as you probably know, is the language that the New Testament was written in. The Greek language has two words for time that I think helpfully see this kind of distinction. And the one word, which is probably more familiar to you, or the root is more familiar, is chronos. Let me hear you say chronos. Chronos, Chronos, we get words like chronology, of course, or a fancy word for a watch, a chronometer, right? So chronos is time as we typically think about time. It's that tick, 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 tick. It's time as we kind of divvy it up, divide it up, try to save it, spend it, keep it, all these different ways that we usually talk about time. And I think we can really get at the heart of the matter by thinking about, from this worldly perspective, a tool and a catchphrase. 
a tool and a catchphrase that really encapsulates this chronos, this worldly view of time. The tool is the planner. Whatever you use for your planner, maybe it's your phone, maybe you've got an old-fashioned written one like I do, whatever it might be, the planner kind of embodies our modern worldly view of time, which is just that, that time is a resource. It's a resource that you and I, we can manage it, we can save it, who knows where it's being saved, but someday you'll be able to draw from that time bank, right? It's all the ways that we try to manage time. Everybody, there's all kinds of books. You go to the bookstore, if you're walking through the airport, at the airport bookstore, there's all these books about these time hacks, how you can optimize your time, how you can keep your time, how you can manage your time better. Well, you're not doing it well, well, you can be doing it better. And I'll admit, I'll confess, I've read a lot of these books. I've tried a lot of these practices. I have literally had the tick, tick, ticking tomato on my desk. Any of you guys know this one? The Pomodoro technique, tick, 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 every 25 minutes, stop, you get, quick, take a break, take a breath, five minutes, okay, now get back at it, boom, 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 go, 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 go. The planner, in many ways, embodies this worldly view of time, that it's a resource that you can save, manage, and hopefully keep. But then there's also a catchphrase that I think really captures the, the spirit of this worldly chronos view of time, and that catchphrase is YOLO. Y-O-L-O. -O. You know this one? YOLO. What's it short for? You only live once, baby. It's a modern take on that ancient uh, catchphrase, carpe diem, right? Carpe diem. Seize the day. And there's something to be said for this, to be sure. St. Paul says in Ephesians 5, redeem the time. Make the best use of the time. But I think lurking underneath of this catchphrase, this YOLO, this you only live once carpe diem kind of mentality, is actually this anxious notion that you and I are the ones who have to impute or reckon or add some meaning to an otherwise meaningless existence. You only live once, and so you better make the best use of that time. Otherwise, it's just going to be frittered away and wasted. That if you yourself aren't the one who is optimizing that time, then it's just slipping through your fingertips. All we are is dust in the wind. It's another way of expressing this kind of worldly view of time, that chronos view. The bottom line with all of this is that time is viewed as an enemy to be conquered, whether it be through your time management techniques your optimization, or all of your anxious ways to try and express, I only live once, so I'm going for it. And in fact, the ancient Greeks, I think they reflected this kind of attitude with their mythological picture of time. Kronos, he was this awful, ugly creature that devoured his own baby. Yeah. Kind of gets at this sense of how time is this all-devouring monster if you're going to look at it from that worldly chronos perspective. But is that how it has to be? The scriptures offer us a different way of viewing time. And here the Greek word is the word kairos. Let me hear you say kairos. kairos. The words sound similar, but in many ways could not be more different. This kairos view of time is more like the fullness of time. It's the, the season. It's what 
uh, Solomon is talking about in the reading that we had from Ecclesiastes. To everything there is a time. From a biblical Kairos view of time, it's not a resource that we need to try and save as if we could possibly do that. Instead, time is viewed as a gift to be received. Remember, time is part of God's good creation. Time was there before the fall. God created the the moon and the stars for signs and for seasons so that we might be able to have an understanding of time, the passage of time, as a good gift of God, as the moving image of eternity, as one author has put it. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says that time, the kairos, is fulfilled. That now in and through his ministry, he is redeeming the time himself. He is the one who comes sanctifying our days. And that's why Paul is able to say in the epistle reading we heard from 2 Corinthians, When is the favorable time, kairos? It's now. You and I live in this eternal reality of God's time. Now, because Christ Jesus has come through the grave. There goes my poem. When I reference it in a moment, we'll just kind of remember it's down there. That now, Jesus, having fulfilled the time, you and I are able to receive it as a gift rather than anxiously trying to save it as a resource. You see the difference? So that each and every day when we awake, as so many of you have told me that you do, the first thing on your mind is not that you're already in a time debt, thinking, oh my gosh, I'm already being unproductive because it's six o'clock and I haven't gotten up yet. But instead, you awaken and say, Lord, thank you for another day, a day I don't deserve more time that is a gift. And instead of having this attitude of YOLO and this feverish, anxious optimization of time, we recognize once again that to everything there is a season and a time for everything under the earth, that our times are in God's hands. It's not up to you and me to make our moments holy. Instead, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God invites us to recognize and to recover the sacredness that is already there in every little moment. It's already there. Every moment, saturated with the Savior's grace. If only we'll have eyes to see it. And the bottom line is that instead of time being an enemy to be overcome, we see it as a friend to be embraced. Once again, as Solomon said, God has made all things beautiful in its kairos, in its time, even as he has set eternity into our hearts, that anticipation and that longing for the day when time needn't exist anymore or any way that's passage will not be uh, anything that causes any anxiety or fear. Because when we've been there 10,000 days, right, shining as the sun, of no less days to sing God's praise. This is the way that we as God's people are able to view time. We're able to see it in that grace-saturated way. Because ultimately, and you guys know this, ultimately, the resistance to time is not about time at all, is it? It's about death. It's about trying to to push off the grave and pretend that it doesn't exist. 
which is why it's so profoundly countercultural what you and I do on this night, on Ash Wednesday. You come up, you receive this mark on your forehead, and you hear these words, remember that you are dust, and to dust you will return. It's one of my least favorite things to do as a pastor, to have my parishioners, my family, people I love, come forward one by one, to remind them, even as I'm reminding myself, you will die. You will die. You will die. But understand that as we mark time in marking our foreheads, this isn't merely some morbid exercise. In fact, it's a great act of hope. And to think about that, let me tell you a little bit about how we get these ashes. Now, you may know this, but customarily, traditionally, the ashes are made from the previous year's palm branches that we got on Palm Sunday. And so we set some of them aside so that now they were good and dry. And we did this last night. Some of you all joined me last night, and I've got some gashes on my hands to prove it as I was trying to cut them. So there might be some blood mingled with your ashes. <laughs> Apologize for that, but I thought that seems kind of fitting in a way, right? So you take the dry palms and you burn them and that's where we get the ashes from. Now why would this be? Is it just because the church is kind of like your grandma? You know, nothing is going to go to waste, right? We're going to use all of it. Could be. But there's something more going on here. I mentioned about the Greek mythological god Kronos. But have you also heard of the mythological creature? I'm sure you have. The phoenix? You know about the phoenix? The phoenix is that bird that lives for however long, hundreds of years, I think is how the legend would go. And then at some point, the bird would die and fall from its perch high in the tree, and it would just be uh, rendered a pile of ashes, right? But did it stay that way? No. Out of the ashes, rising up out of the ashes, the phoenix comes back. And why do I tell you this? Because the Greek word for palms is phoenix. And in fact, the legend has it that it was in the palm tree that the phoenix lived. See, each year we take those palms and we burn them down to ashes and we place them on our foreheads, a reminder of our mortality, of an insistence that you and I will go to the grave but also, and even more so, in that shape of the cross, we are reminded of the one who already has risen up from the ashes, who has come back from the dead, our Lord Jesus. And even better than any legendary mythological bird, he lives and he lives forever. And we have that hope that we will celebrate on Easter and look forward to on the last day when our Lord Jesus will come again, when he will raise you and me out of the ashes of our graves and restore to us a resurrected, glorified body. Place these ashes on our forehead as a countercultural sign that we recognize, yes, the grave comes for us all, but also as an act of hope and assurance that you and I because we belong to Jesus, will rise from the ashes too. And so, we need not fight time, nor fear it. Instead, in light of Jesus' resurrection, 
we can embrace it for every moment is holy. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand for prayer.